What do you think is the most common misconception about Buddhism? Buddhism. What is the most common misperception? No, even more common than that. Buddha's Christ. Hmm? Buddha's Christ. No. Okay. That all Buddhists meditate. (laughs) No, they don't. There have been historical presentations about meditation and Buddhism. I'd first of all indicate that meditation went on for a long time in that, that diaspora before Buddhism, before the Buddha became awakened. He was just another samana, another seeker. He wasn't a Buddha. And even up until a couple of hundred years ago, no monastics, no, no lay people were taught meditation. And very few monastics practiced meditation. Even today, you have monastics who don't practice meditation. The majority of monastics practice a a form or a a method of single-focusedness by chanting. So they're they're focusing on their chanting. It's It's more about contemplation than formal meditation. But still it achieves a purpose. If you eliminate images and objects from your mind, this is the mind training that's designed to ease the mental agitation. And hopefully today I will be inspired to share a word or utter a word that will inspire all of you to commit to your own mind training. Because as I've said recently in the past, it's obvious to me that we're dealing with a mental health crisis in the world, not just in this country, but in the world. Why do I say that? Well, for all of the obvious reasons, all of the anomalies that present themselves to us on a daily basis that informs us of how agitated society is, the the violence, the the legislation, incarceration, just everything that doesn't align with or doesn't contribute to harmony and peace and compassion for all beings everywhere. We, we've forgotten, I think, to remember the need to rest the mind 
we we know that if we ran 24 hours a day with the physical body, that eventually we'd get sick and would not serve us. We would be incapacitated. But somehow we've forgotten that our other construct of existence is mental. And we run that 24-7. And we wonder why there is apparent sickness or malignancy in the mind of, of this culture, of the world culture. It's because we never give it an opportunity to rest, to recuperate, to re-energize, to regenerate, to balance itself, to come back into stasis, to come back into the true mind. So there are some of you who have indicated to me that the meditation on voidness is helping you. And so as an explanation of what we're doing with abiding in voidness, we're just simply eliminating or ignoring certain messages at the sense gates that we have evaluated, that we have determined, bring with them agitation. We're saying, okay, I'm I'm totally agitated in my mind. Now, what can I do to relieve that? Well, I can stop bringing in things that agitate the mind. I will be very selective in what I invite in to my consciousness. That's all you're doing. You're saying, oh, that causes a lot of disturbance. Well, I won't attend to that. I won't pay attention to that, to the perception of that. It doesn't mean that we have to necessarily eliminate the cognition or the contact at a sense gate doesn't mean that we have to move to a mountaintop, although that would be helpful in the beginning to just get a comparison about what a healthy mind is. That's what the problem is. Most of us don't know what a healthy mind We know what a healthy body is. We know what when we feel strength and vigor of the body. We know, well, I'm healthy. But we don't really know what a healthy mind is. Because from the time that we left the womb, from the time that we left the womb, we were traumatized. We were We were assaulted by and overwhelmed by reality from the very beginning. Just the whole birth process. So it is about getting back to that space of mental healthfulness that allows us then to make correct decisions and to live our lives as we were designed to live them. So, today I'd like to introduce another suggested procedure that still basically uses the same formula of elimination. Realizing or employing a practice that helps us realize 
what we invite into the consciousness of our being that creates agitation. That we don't do it, that no one else does it either. It's just what we invite in to our field of consciousness. So there's another sutta. It's called Two Kinds of Thoughts. I think it's Sutta 8. I'm not sure. Let me see. The Shorter Discourse on Voidness was Sutta 121 for those who have on the Majima Nikaya, Sutta 19. This is my own Majima Nikaya, so I, I, I work with it very carefully. Well used. Panyawadi needed to borrow my other Majima Nikaya so that she could go out and teach in Texas and study in California. And that's very important. So in two kinds of thoughts, the training that it suggests is that we do this. That we have a column A and a column B. And that we posit in either this column A or column B thoughts that bring us peace, column B, Thoughts that bring us distress, column A. We determine, or our litmus, is whether an idea or a thought contributes to our peace or our disharmony, contributes to our wholesomeness or compassion or contributes to our anger or our fear. And we put it in one column or the other because we realize that through our experiences we understand that allowing the presence of agitation or agitated energy coming from thoughts or ideas disrupt our flow of stillness and peace. And so we say it doesn't contribute to our ascendance, that it drags us down, it makes us tired, it wears us out. And we have all of the symptoms of being overwhelmed in consciousness, whether it's addictions of all kinds, whether it's fear, sorrow, depression, the symptom, I was thinking about depression as I was thinking about what to say what to share. And of course, one of the, or some of the symptoms of depression are 
isolation, uh, wanting to sleep, wanting to not be in, involved with life. It all points to the, the, the tiredness, the, the overwhelming effect of life that it has on our own life continuum, which is consciousness. It depresses it. It causes us to feel tired mentally so that we want to just not have to think about or be bothered by anything, which unfortunately encourages many people to commit suicide because they just feel so overwhelmed and they don't feel like they can find any relief. They can't get back to up to the surface because they're being held under by reality. Their reality, not reality as a truth, but their reality or their expression of reality as they see it to be. And of course, they wouldn't be seeing it that way if they were not initially so overwhelmed by all of the aspects of life that were coming at them. So it says you can't stop this. You can't stop the coming because all of this exists. There's always going to be all of these dualities out there presenting themselves to us. There's always going to be people who don't like us or judge us or condemn us without even knowing us even. There's always going to be that, whether we're good or not good. So the world is going to throw stuff at us. Life is going to throw stuff at us. And just as we train and and are supportive of our physical body to sustain the energy that it needs to get through the day, we must also understand how important it is to sustain the mental energy to get through the day. Because all of those vicissitudes of life are going to be present. They're going to be obstacles for us every day. We're going to be pushing the rock back up the hill every day. Every day we start over again, doing the same thing we did yesterday. That gets worrisome after a while. That that gets tired after a while. But that's life. And if we can't dance with it, then we become thrown off track by it. So, column A, column B. Thoughts that agitate us, ideas that agitate us, cause us to have emotions, thoughts that don't. And we engage in a practice of, again, eliminating these thoughts by ignoring these thoughts, by not paying attention to these thoughts, and putting our attention or our awareness on the thoughts that bring us peace and stillness. Again, it's about concentration. It's about directing our intention and our attention, our awareness, our consciousness on an object that brings us what we evaluate as a positive effect. 
That's all it is. That's all you're doing. We realize through our practice that it's not easy to hold our attention on, on this object because there's something over here screaming at us, demanding our attention, demanding our immediate involvement. And it's very difficult for us not to take a peek just to make sure that if I don't deal with this right now, the house won't burn down and still be safe. We'll always be drawn to that because that always speaks with a louder voice than the tranquility of compassion and stillness and peace. But we understand that what we practice, what we develop a skill in, we become better at. So that's why we need to commit to developing, harnessing our ability to stay stuck on, to stay focused on our intended object, what we want to, what we feel is beneficial to us to pay attention to. And ultimately it's that simple. Now we, we know that there are promises or there are examples of meditation producing many things for us, for individuals. Supernormal powers, enlightenment. But what we're talking about now is using the model of meditation, mind training, to just get through the day, to successfully get through the day. to not be knocked aside, to not be derailed by the activities of life. This is what meditation gifts us with. Yes? How is the act of trying to maintain your focus on a specific object, mind state, whatever, how is that not clinging? Because you don't carry in the, the need for it to be the way you think it should be. Um, it's a relationship with a practice that by our mere participation in that practice allows us to realize a diminishing of situations. So we start out with a weariness or a a disgruntledness or a discontentment about the day, about the moment. 
And this aligns with the first noble truth that says suffering should be understood. You know, what is, what is this thing of suffering in the first place? What are they talking about? What does it mean to me? And ultimately, at the end of the day, everyone wants to either be peaceful or happy or contented, not riled up, not agitated, not angry, not fearful, not depressed. That's our, that's our ultimate wish. This is why we make the choices that we make from partners to jobs to neighborhoods to social groups that we join to bars that we go to. It's all about finding a place where we feel comfortable, where we feel okay. So then we imply that there is also an existence of not okayness. And how do I escape from that reality? How do I get into a reality of okayness, contentment, stillness, and peace? with all of the things that we gravitate toward that promise us that kind of happiness or experience. In our expression of training, our, we, we look toward whether there is change in how we experience our life, whether there's change in that. But we also are present in that moment with the acceptance that there may not be change in this moment, which does not then encourage more agitation and more upsetness So the difference is that I have a desire to accomplish, but I don't have desire. Is that more confusing? Does that help? Directionally, I see where you're going. I don't fully get it, though. Um, Because it, it, it seems like in the first instance, there is aversion. I'm trying to push this unpleasant, this unwholesome mind state away. And in order to stop that, I need to let go. I just need to let it, you know, uh, rise and, and, and pass away like any, anything else in nature. And so I'm, I'm, it, it's the act of letting go that's allowing me to ultimately gain peace because I'm no longer pushing it away but then it, I don't know I'm, I guess I'm just stuck on this notion that it feels like if I'm saying but I want to be happy peaceful I want this other wholesome mind state and I'm going to go out there and get it and I'm going to focus on it if it, it feels like I'm I'm pulling it in I'm trying to hang on to it I'm trying to place it here in my mind and and um maintain it and I'm have I'm I'm still struggling I guess with how those are different um, okay ultimately
What we're trying to do is find a technique or technology that works for us, that brings us peace. What we have to watch out for is the manipulation of the mind itself, the, the ego or the id, that thrives on contention. What I suggest is that if what you are employing in your daily life is working, then continue to do that. Which, whichever specific technology you're using to train consciousness. What we have to be careful of, in my opinion, is the rebuking of a technique, the, dismiss, the, the dismissing of a technique without trying it. Because this could infer the manipulation of ego to keep you where you are, you know, to, to argue against something without even trying to see if it works or not. So if what you're doing is working, if you are realizing a cessation of your own stress and unwell being in life by employing certain techniques, then continue to do that. If they aren't working for you, if you still find yourself in the same hole or the same rut or the same day, groundhog day that you've always been in, then have the willingness and the desire to give something else a try without judging it by its semantics. Okay? That perception that says, gee, that sounds like the other thing I did that didn't work for me. The comparison I made between Suda 121 and Suda 18 was done deliberately to show that basically everything is all the same. The work is all the same. But we have to get, we have to be careful not to get trapped, tripped up in the semantics of the presentation. That my words or your words or anyone else's words are woefully lacking in their ability to take us to the depths of it. We get to the depths through our own realization as opposed to being guided there intellectually because we still don't know, you know, when it's here, when, even when it makes sense here. Even when you go, oh, that sounds great. We still don't know until we actually use it and have the realization from the use of it. We see often that barrier that we erect when there is a suggestion of a solution. You know, we say, well, do this practice or do that practice and it'll, it'll dissolve those crystals that make you so rigid. And then the mind goes, yeah, but what if it's a bullfrog in a lake with a gorilla and an alligator, you know? 
and they're they're killing your baby. (laughs) You know, so it's like, no, I don't want to try it. I don't want to try it. I don't want to try it. It doesn't sound right. It doesn't sound like it's going to work. But we don't know it's going to work until we try it, until we use it as a tool. So, yeah. Don't dismiss it until we try. That, that's my point. And thank you for standing up and, and giving me a teaching tool. Okay. So here we've got at least two. We've got choices. And that in itself is liberating and freeing. The fact that we can go and do this one, or we can go and do this one. The fact that we are not It doesn't even bring an obligation to be successful. Just says try it. See if it works. It doesn't say if it doesn't work, that means you're a bad person. You know, you're an unskilled person. You don't know what you're doing. You, you have bad karma. It already informs us that everyone's different. This might work for you. This may not work for you. But if nothing's working for you, try this. See if it works for you. But you're not judged if it doesn't. There are many more processes and techniques to use. (laughs) They all come back basically with the same suggestions or the same technologies or techniques, but they're presented in different ways. Not to cause confusion to us, but to cause confusion to the embedded consciousness that wants to hold us prisoner to our emotions. So it's about tricking the ego. Everybody's got it? Are there any questions? I know you just said if it's if you have something working for you, stick with it. Um, but then with what you just said, raises a question for me. Do, do you suggest that we um, do employ different methods on a regular or somewhat regular basis? Like I've studied with a couple of teachers that basically say pick one method and do it for 10 years before you think about picking another method. <laughs> what is your feeling on that? That's, that's not my position. I don't say that's incorrect. I'm just saying that's not mine. It has been my experience that if you are practicing correctly with any of the technologies that have been presented through the years, through the centuries, you will start to see a difference. Not after one sitting, perhaps, but you will start to notice through the week, through the next week, through the next week. 
that you are starting to evaluate and glimpse reality differently than you did back then, that you don't get as angry as you used to, you don't get as fearful as you used to, you don't get as disrailed and disappointed as you used to, you don't get as affected by other people's attitudes and expressions as you used to. You begin to see something working, even though the ultimate goal hasn't even been reached yet. And that doesn't take 10 years. 10 years, in my opinion, is too long to give any one technique. That's attachment. That's attachment. But by the same token, if you get benchmarks that it is working, that it is making a difference, that it is changing your life, your experience with life, then I suggest to keep working it as long as you know that you're working it correctly and as it was taught to you, go back and continue to review the instructions so that you make sure you haven't left anything out. You haven't, through familiarity, started to take shortcuts and go from step two to step ten. You know. All of the techniques that I'm aware of require that every time we utilize them, we start at the very beginning as we employ the process to make us clear in our, in our seeing and our knowing. Is that my heartbeat? <laughs> I think it'd be a little more regular. I hope so. Yeah, I'm, I'm clinging to uh, food. Anyway, that's a joke. Um, I find what you're saying through my experience to be true. Unfortunately, I haven't been meditating with regularity. And let me tell you, I don't know about anyone else, but I'm seeing my edginess coming back, so I got to... <laughs> meditate regularly in this world. I just see it as a sanctuary I go to, you know? Well, that's, that's exactly what we are establishing. We're trying to establish. It's about our... When you talk about a sanctuary refuge, it's about realizing where all of the agitation comes from. It comes from outside of us. And we have to have a place where we can rest and recharge ourselves. Well, we can't do it out here because this is always busy. Whether it's day or night, there's, there's somebody doing something, there's some disease doing something, there's some abnormally, abnormally or... It, um Tones me down, makes me <laughs> much less reactive, you know, more even-tempered. Is what? Meditation. Okay, then yeah. what, is your, what, is your, what is your realization and what is your answer? I need to get back to it. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. It's, um, there, there's a promise, there's a given 
that it won't always be a practice. It always, it won't always be something you have to get back to and do, like taking a pharmaceutical every day. There will be a day when you will be healed or cured where it will be second nature to do the things that you do that makes, that brings peace and contentment to your life. Okay? So you won't always have to have a crutch or a cane or a walker to keep yourself upright. And personally for me, as far as um, seeking happiness and uh, freedom and all that jazz, I don't go looking for it. I, I just, you know, wait to be surprised. And I have been at okay. times. All right, thank you. It's always heard it, if you go looking it for it, it won't, you won't get it. Well, it's because it's not there. Right. It's, you, we already own it. So it's, not out, it's not out there. So... Thank you. Um, I noticed it today about practicing in the flowers because I haven't been here like on Tuesday and Thursday. And so I didn't have a chance to change the water or do anything with the flowers that are up there. And so they're dying. So it makes me realize that you have to keep on practicing. And if you don't, you know, this is what happens like with the flowers. Okay. You know, so I guess it's important to, for me. It's an, a wake-up call. If you don't do it and you don't practice all the time, then things kind of fall apart for me and for the flowers. Yeah, that, that's a that's a good point, and thank you for sharing that. But also, one of the things that I want you to remember or see about the term practice. Practice encourages or should encourage a more skillful way of doing something. You know, so so you, you One way is thinking that all your life you have to be in school. You, know, you have to be learning something. You have to be practicing something. But the truth is that one day we graduate. One day we have it. One day we don't have to practice it anymore because it is an habitual tendency. We know how to do it and we do it expertly. So there's a day where we graduate from practice and we're able to express it in our lives without consciously having to find it and bring it up to consciousness before we actually are doing it. It becomes natural, right? So I'm just saying that there comes a time when you cross that line where you where it's not something foreign to you that you are trying to include in your day, but it becomes your day. You just do it. 
You know, you, you surprise yourself. You're spontaneous with it. That's my point. All right. Don? I think you just answered my question about when you ultimately have to deal with those unpleasant items. I think you just answered my question about how to do it skillfully. You just do it. Taking taking the sanctuary with you. Yeah. Yeah. Practice implies that you're learning how to play the game. But ultimately, you play the game. You don't practice the game, you play the game. You do it well, you do it skillfully. And that's what we are marching toward. That, that, that place where we have that intuitive wisdom to know just what to do in the moment that is appropriate for this moment. And not, and not attaching ourselves to it where we feel that, well, the next time I have an experience that's similar to this, I will do the same thing again. Because it's not the same experience. You're not the same person having the experience. Okay, so we've got two ways to do it today. So you're doubly blessed. You've got two ways to do it. So let's sit up. And Mark, the first thing that we do is we abandon all desire and grief for the world. We let go. Of everything we want and everything we don't want. All of our attachment and our aversion for the world. We let go of that first. Because we realize that that's our biggest creator of agitation.
One of the things that I forgot to share is that in Sutta 18, two kinds of thoughts, it points to the fact that mental proliferation causes the mind to feel strained and the body to be tired. It informs us that it doesn't matter whether we're thinking about unwholesome thoughts or thinking about wholesome thoughts. The fact that we're thinking or noting creates disturbances in consciousness. And so His suggestion was, or his remedy was, that even though he was able to roll all of his unwholesome thoughts away from consciousness and include only wholesome thoughts, because he was still thinking about wholesome thoughts that cause strain in the mind and tiredness in the body. And that to relieve this, he went to single-pointed concentration where there was no noting, no thinking, no mental proliferation. It was just stillness. And in that place, he was able to recharge and rejuvenate his inner being, if you will. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you for practicing. And uh, I'm glad my words were of some effect. May all beings be liberated from suffering. May we be well. May we be happy. May we be peaceful. Thank you and have a wonderful day. Be safe. Smile at a stranger.